Did Don Draper really buy the world a Coke? Did Tony Soprano really die or just order more onion rings? The finales of our favorite shows can make us argue, make us cry, and make us crazy. From Spotify and The Ringer, I'm Andy Greenwald, and this is Stick the Landing, a new podcast where we'll be telling the story of modern TV backwards, one fade out at a time. Find Stick the Landing on Wednesdays on the Prestige TV feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half-price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I'm Sean Fennessy, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about Oppenheimer. We are very blessed to be joined by three of the people responsible for the incredible work in the movie Oppenheimer. Hoyte von Hoytemann, the cinematographer, Jennifer Lehm, the editor, and Ludwig Göransson, the composer. I'm going to start with a question for all three of you. Christopher Nolan famously tight-lipped about his projects. Waits, I understand it, a long time before sharing with his collaborators what it is he's going to do. I'll start with you, Hoytema. When you get the script and he tells you, I'm making a film about Oppenheimer, what is that conversation like? And what is your first thought? Um, your first thought is when he tells you, I'm going to make a film about Oppenheimer, you kind of know that you are going to make a film about Oppenheimer <laughs> in, the, in the months ahead. Um, uh, he's very meticulous uh, with his scripts. Uh, the moment that he sort of sends his scripts out into the world, he's 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 very finished. He he, he has thought about it uh, for a long time. So so his scripts feel 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 watertight. And you know, from the four films I've done with him so far, um, when I go back and read his scripts again, you know. Um, the same scripts that I get, you know, when I start a project, you know, they very much represent almost in a perfect way the uh, the the film that comes out of it later. So you learn to sort of pay a lot of attention to the first time you read the script because because um, yeah, you you it's it's a very good insight of the film that's gonna live in the world later. Jennifer, what about for you? You worked on Tenant. That this is a very different movie from Tenant in some ways. What was your thought when you does he is he sending you the screenplay and saying I want you to edit this film for me? No, um, no. What happened was we went out to lunch 
and um, just just to catch up. And he kind of said he had something brewing, and um, he just said it's um, very different from what I did just before. It's a bunch of people in room talkings, and I was like, I'm in <laughs> because <laughs> that's kind of what I prefer. Um, and that's like that was the Chris Nolan movie. Like I wanted to work on that kind of Chris Nolan movie after having done like kind of the action version of it. And then I don't know when he told me it was about Oppenheimer. If it was just when I went to his house and I read the script. But he definitely didn't tell me at that lunch. It wasn't until like, I had already said yes to the project. And then I read the script at his house. So he's definitely not sending me anything through the internet or anything like that. In retrospect, do you think he put you through Tenet to see if you could do this? <laughs> wow, I don't know. I've never thought about that. That would be crazy. <laughs> no, probably not. Hoyt is shaking his head. <laughs> Ludwig, what about you? When do you become aware of a new Nolan project? I th it's when I sit down and read the script. I don't think I knew anything about it before I went to the office and I sat down and I started reading the script and I was I was I was it's it was a very exciting moment because I didn't know what it was going to be about or and I was just I just remember being completely just captivated by this incredible script you like you you just it's 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 an absolute page turner and just immediately you get sucked into this this character and I think I, I, I started thinking about the music too and, and, and realized pretty quickly that the music needs to heighten his emotion. It needs to put the audience in his shoes, in his eyes, in his mind. Um, and that was something very exciting. And I, I, I never read something like that before. Is it common for you to be hearing the music the first time you're reading a script? I, no. I, I don't hear music, um, but Chris is really what he did with the sound design for this film, um, and how also he writes that on in the script, like the footsteps, the ten fifteen seconds of, of I don't you know exactly how long it is, but the the seconds of silence after the Trinity test, it's all written out in the script. So you, it's a very visceral, cathartic experience reading this because you kind of you kind of hear that in the background as well. Hoyt, can you talk about? why it is important for you and Nolan to shoot on film and then also just the incredible act of shooting this in IMAX and also making Kodak make you black and white film for the 65 millimeter format, which had never been done before. This is a pretty unusual kind of execution even for you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is uh, an ongoing conversation, of course, but, um, you know, the short version of that answer is that, you know, we both believe that it's the best format out there you know we we try to be as visceral as we can in our language um we really you know we we really like to give the audience some sort of a sense of you know being present in 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 the re reality that the film presents to us and you know we cannot think about a better format to do that than 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 IMAX and that's for a variety of reasons and, you know, not the least resolution, but the depth and color depth and all that kind of things that I think we as human beings in a very intuitive way connect to, you know. Um, I mean, you, you could almost argue we always try to commit the scenes we do on the best and or the best possible way that we know and that 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 that, that we feel. And... It's 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 only logic that we then end up 
uh, in IMAX, and and when it's not possible to shoot on IMAX, we we sort back to System 65, and also the way we then post-produce it, the way we carry that on in post-production, uh, the fact that we always make analog copies and you know are so um, fanatic about people you know go and see it in an analog movie theater because if you shoot on on a on a digital of uh, on an analog format like this um every time you would you know make a digital copy out of it you would lose a huge amount of your original resolution so we became fanatics about making analog prints you know because if you're making an analog print of an IMAX frame you know you effectively maintain like 18k resolution you know which is impossible to do in digital technology so um, you know we we think it's the best <laughs> simple as that i think Jen, I feel like this makes your job a lot harder, though. Not really. It really doesn't. Digital is a pain in the ass. Can you describe that then? Like, what is what is the difference then between working in digital and film? Well, it's funny when I first when I interviewed for Tenet, all I talked to Chris about was um, the DI because I was in a DI on a movie and I was just going out of my mind because you spend a whole day, you're windowing stuff, you're changing a color, blah blah. blah. You come in the next day and it's like you watch it back and they're like, let's start all over. It's just like endless. Like you know what I mean. And I'm just like, where is the center core of what we're doing? And you can spend so many weeks in there. So I was, so I spent my entire interview essentially asking Chris about what his film coloring process was because I, it just sounded so interesting and, and nice to me and creative and artistic and committed. Um, yeah, please, you can speak to that. No, I just wanted to uh, a short thing about the color timing process. The difference of DI and the analog process is. If you go to a DI, you effectively, you don't work real time. So you work shot by shot by shot by shot where you work uh, in the analog coloring process. Every time you do, you color the film, you're, you're forced to watch it real time. So you, you get to color a film real time the way that an audience watches it, which is, I think is a very crucial and essential difference, you know. And, and if I can jump in, I thought it was very interesting that the few times I went to visit set, after they after you sh after you shoot after your you know call time was over you you all uh, I saw I met you guys in the screening room and you're watching dailies on film mm. right yeah which yeah. is <laughs> that was the first time I experienced that. I was like oh this is I'm watching film right now and what's so cool about watching dailies on film is we're all in this little trailer together and I hear Hoyta and Chris talking about stuff and I'm clocking that or I hear the production designer production designer mention something it's just it's just like you're all listening in and watching it, whereas on a digital movie, you're on pics and everyone's watching on their laptop while they're on their phones or on a call. Like, it's just not as engaged. So the digital world opens up this kind of whole world for issues. Um, please. <laughs> no, I was just, 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 just thinking, like, how great is not that that we were watching dailies on film with the composer, the... The, the editor, you know, the production designer, the focus pooler, every night after the shooting is just the oh makeup artist, you know, and they're all sitting there, and, oh shit, you know, <laughs> like, you get really, really, you know, your nose rubbed into, the, you know, the, the difficulties and the problems, but it's, it's super cool, actually. And it makes you also just feel like a team, right? There's not that disconnect, but, and then there's a whole other creative side that I love about it, too, which is, um, you know, we have so much freedom, but there's a schedule. And I have a whole, there is a, there is a group of people that are cutting while I'm cutting because the director's cut is shown on film, so they have to cut as I cut. And so there is just a nice kind of rhythm to the whole thing. And I always say that 
working with him is kind of the slowest fast. Like I've never worked with someone where time kind of moves fast and slowly at the same time. Like I feel like we have all the time in the world, but we actually have this insane schedule that he never deviates from. Um, but it kind of weirdly feels relaxed, and I don't know how to explain that. But yeah, at movies I've been on that are digital, which is most movies, um, you know, it can go on forever, and it's just the tweaking, and it's this endless process. And eventually that... It's like you reach a peak of creativity and then it starts to become not creative anymore. And I think in the digital world, it's kind of hard to define that because you can go on forever, you know? Interesting. It seems like being on the same page is a big part of the success of this. I'm glad all three of you are here to talk about this. I feel like the movie is a is really immersive, but it's also a movie of big moments. I feel like the first big moment of the movie is the Can You Hear the Music sequence, which is... Uh, this is the fifth time I've seen this movie in a movie theater. It is still like breathtaking. It is an amazing, in part because of what you did, like Ludwig. Um, I'm I'm curious, like for all three of you, that sequence, you know, and and working with your wife as well, Serena, who's a violinist, and just hearing that music. I'm curious if you could just talk through conceptualizing that, and even where that piece of music started. Was that one of the first things you composed? Was it one of the last? And how does that work? <clears throat> well, it when I read the script and I came to that moment and reading that Oppenheimer is putting on a record of writer he's listening to the, the Rite of Spring and I was, I was like thinking like I was gonna bummed out with Chris I was like <laughs> <laughs> you're really gonna put the, the best one of the best pieces of music ever written as a reference point in the movie is like that um, and I thought I was like are you gonna use that piece of music or like but he was kind of just laughing at me he was like yeah I, was, I put I put put the bar pretty high um but that, that 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 whole sequence how that came about was was just also <clears throat> me being involved in like watching the dailies. I was also watching the dailies uh, of the visual effects. So when we had those screen tests at IMAX, and I was looking at the visual effects that Andrew Jackson and 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 Hoyte and, and Chris were, were it, it felt like you guys were just playing around, like feeling it felt feel like you're doing experimentations with different lenses and fish tanks and like seeing the fires and seeing the, the swirling molecules around and seeing that on IMAX um, was uh, was extremely um, inspiring and when I when I saw that I, I, I was I, I felt it and I, I knew that's how I wanted the music to sound like as well um, kind of pushing the, the, the boundary of, of, of energy um, and and then what was also very interesting about this movie and about the music for me was obviously the the, the the most important part of the music was to capture the the emotional core of Oppenheimer and his emotional journey. But also, I found it very inspiring to think about how we can mix that up with uh, mix that up with math and and science. Mm. And so that that whole piece of music kind of came from a from a um, a, a math and music. A, a scale called a hexatonic scale, which is a six-tone, it's a six-note scale, and it kind of started out as an exercise, um, and I started experimenting with with tempo and rhythms, and um, it started taking on this life and, and and life and energy that I hadn't worked with before, and um, and it was also. I used I had to use computers to write that type of music where the tempo was changing all the time. Um, but then how it really started coming alive was when we started recording it with a live orchestra and yeah, with with the help from my wife Serena who's a violinist, we figured out a way 
um, to be able to record that music in, in one flawless um, performance. I was, I was always set that we were going to have to record it in sections, like four bars at a time, and then we cut it together um, with a computer. But we found out, a, we figured out a way how to give the musicians a click in their ears um, while they were playing. They were playing at one tempo with their left hand, and then before the tempo happened on the page, they were, they were fed a click in their ears in a different tempo, so they could they adjust it on the, you know, uh, live in their heads. You make it seem like we can understand what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you we can't. Um, it's quantum physics, right. almost, in, yeah. mu in a musical way. Uh, Hoyt, I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit, too. You know, all of those effects that Ludwig was looking at mm. are in camera and practically done with your with Andrew and... I think that's a that's uncommon and hard for us to maybe understand. So, how are you f creating and filming those moments where we see electrons colliding and atoms swirling like that? Yeah, I mean, I I I I really owe a lot of um, credits here to you know, uh, or a lot of credits f for achieving that are assigned to me, which which is kind of wrong. I think I think um, um, you know Andrew Jackson and Scott Fisher they have they you know they have constantly simultaneously when we were shooting they have been working on these science projects as we as 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 we call them so so they were very often just just on a set next to our set uh, working with tanks and with with fire and ping pong balls and stuff it it was it was it was li literally uh, sort of an arts and crafts project constantly you know uh, uh, with glue and tape and uh, and electro motors and everything so uh, Initially, you know, we started uh, all together before we shot. We, we we did like two days of heavy experimentation. You know, um, we asked Panavision to build us some specific lenses uh, for the IMAX camera that didn't exist that we really felt we needed to achieve very specific things. Um, uh, so 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 it was an ongoing process where we all the time sort of discovering from our dailies that we then watching together we 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 seeing the results and we think oh this, this this is really working out and this is great so let's explore that a little further so it was sort of a unit that had a lot of freedom to to play around when we were really trying to make our normal days with the actors you know um, I think I think the base of it was that you know this is a film about quantum physics and and quantum physics is such an abstract uh, science and and especially for a normal you know uh, semi-intelligent person as myself you know it's just it's just it, these are very abstract concepts but it was also very important that you know we at least attempted or tried to um, you know, uh, connect to the audience uh, in an intuitive way, you know, so that, that on an intuitive level you kind of get an understanding of these very new concepts of quantum mechanics. And I think, you know, coming back a little bit to, to music, that I, I think that was also something in music, you know, you're, you're kind of making, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of making the score to quantum mechanics, which is a very complex uh, concept but in the end you know you 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 do your own version of it and and you kind of reach also within your own field the complexity that is interesting and and it gives you a feeling that you that you at least have some sort of understanding of that concept even more so than um a typical narrative film this movie has a lot of 
this montage and this kind of conceptualization of what's happening maybe in Oppenheimer's mind or the science that you're talking about, Hoyt Jen. So when you have a sequence like this, is it in the script that it needs to be organized that the moments are almost flashing in this way? Is that something that in talking with Christopher that you are landing on? Like, help us understand how a sequence like that comes together. Yeah, um, I do remember after I read the script, because a lot of it is in the script, just, just that he's having these images and stuff. Um, I asked Chris, how are you going to achieve that? What are you doing with Andrew and Scott and all that, or, and all that stuff? Um, and he said, yeah, you know, we have all these ideas and we've been testing, we're going to shoot it, but I think a big, a big way we're going to do it is editing. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> because, like, <laughs> I literally read, because Tenet with the backwards stuff, I was like, oh, this is going to be so hard for me. But with this script, I was like, oh, there's the black and white and the IMAX, and, like, that's all Hoyta. And, like, I really was like, I'm just going to cut the people in rooms talking. And then so when he said that, I was like, damn it. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, we had all these amazing images, but it was kind of like, how do you cut them together that they don't feel like what they are or that people feel like they feel like what Oppenheimer's thinking about, you know, which they can quickly become a bit silly if you hold on one for too long or you don't want to give, you don't want people to know what it is or be thinking about what is that. Um, so yeah, we spent a lot of time watching, you know, we would spend half days just watching hours of this stuff and mm -hmm. chopping it together and experimenting. It was just a lot of experimenting of what, and it was just kind of whatever, gave us that feeling because we had no idea. Did you have the music when you were doing that? When, no, 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 not when, not that early. Not we at were that just, phase. No, that was probably like the first week or two because I wasn't on, on during the shoot and it was kind of nice actually because I didn't have any baggage with the stuff they shot because you guys had watched it a lot and I know Chris had opinions about certain stuff maybe he didn't think worked, but I didn't know anything. So I would watch and make selects and then we'd go through and there was a lot of it, like hours and hours, right? When you say Hoyta, I don't remember exactly. Um, kind of for each section, there was just all these different, all this different cool experimental stuff. But no, the music, the music comes actually pretty quickly considering, but this was like the first week or two, we really just like started going through all that stuff. I have a related question for you about that, Jen. This feel, I think this is the longest movie that you've ever edited. And it feels like the movie with maybe the most tonnage, like the most footage, the most imagery, the most editing. Is that fair to say? I guess. I really don't know. I mean, I guess it's the longest movie I've edited. Is it? Is it? I don't know if it's the most editing. That's a longer period of time that it takes to finish an edit like this? Is it harder? No, this was quite quick, I have to say. I mean, I came on and... I think I came on in May. I don't remember. And we were kind of picture locked. Were we picture locked by the holidays? And like, when were you mixing? When we were on the stage? Um, we started mixing in, I think, November. Yeah, I mean, we were picture locked kind of by the end of the year. And we were doing tweaks a little bit on the stage and stuff like that. But that's not long. So, um, no, it, it felt like it went quite quickly. Nolan has said that, um, you know, the film is broken into three acts and that each act has a kind of genre attached to it. That the first act is sort of a coming-of-age movie, the second act is this heist western, and the third act is a courtroom thriller. Is that something that he was sharing with you guys? That he, like, Hoyta, did that influence the way that you were working on scenes or moments of the film? Um, I mean, we, we, he, he would talk about it, but, but, you know, I don't think, you know, in the way that we felt this film should feel or should look, uh, we were not like on purpose trying to make this feel like different genres, you know. 
I think the genres that Chris mentions is very much reflected in, you know, the, the structure of the story. Um, uh, where else, you know, the visual language just wanted to feel pure and, and feel real, you know. It, 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 I, I always had the feeling, that, you know, or we always had the feeling that you don't want to sort of watch this with some sort of another, you know, sort of intellectual burden apart from, you know, you as an audience just engaging with what you see on the screen. And so, no, we, we, we didn't try to make it feel or look like a, a, like a genre piece in any, in any way. Is that something you thought about, Ludwig? Did you did he say this is the heist part of the film? Because in fact, it does have that energy even in the music when you're watching the movie that you've shifted tones to a new kind of movie. Yeah, we we do a lot of the a lot of the music gets written, and a lot of the big themes and ideas and the sound world and the music world gets executed and written before Chris starts shooting the film. So, um, and that's 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 it's. I love that process because I'm I'm in with him in pre-production and we meet up once a week and I write music um, constantly and then we listen to it together and we talk about the details of melody or sounds or production and we kind of we, that's how we create this the, the this this DNA the sound world of of of, of Oppenheimer so and he and and he listens to that when he shoots the film and then when when Jen and and Chris does the first cut <clears throat> the, you, and you have like two maybe two or three hours yeah, he, of he, just material. To be, when I was saying with the experimentation the music exists he just doesn't let me hear it until a strategic <laughs> time because I don't think he wants because it's easy, way easier to cut to music like if I had Ludwig to music to push play and look at it's way easier but I think he doesn't so he he tells so it's like Two weeks in, when we have to screen it, then he's like, "Here's all this music, and it's amazing." <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I just don't have access to it. Interesting. So it's easy to read the movie as a metaphor for filmmaking, and they've got all of these brilliant people who all come together for a short period of time to make this thing. I, but it also makes it seem like the way that you're talking about it, like this is a perfectly executed machine. And I feel like filmmaking, there's experimentation things don't work on set or even in the aftermath of what you're working on like when you were shooting the movie was there anything that you would imagine you'd be able to achieve that you had to improvise or change or reimagine <laughs> it's very funny that we are we are we are the, the the film sort of the invention of like one of the most deciding uh piece of machinery in the history of mankind that that would be a man of a, a, a metaphor for filmmaking that's kind of that's <laughs> it's easy for me to read to it that me. way <laughs> um uh sorry i lost i i i, I what, 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 a perfect machine it's not right filmmaking isn't a perfect machine and 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 yeah this was definitely a film about uh you know a, a man trying to wrangle a lot of you know geniuses in the same in the same space, trying to work on one common common uh, common product, and in that way, of course, filmmaking is very very similar because you have a lot of people, and then you have to kind of all think along the same line, and you all have to be in support of each other, and you're all working on one sort of final, you know, fi final goal. Um, and I feel that very much. I feel very much with with you guys as well. That you know, we, when we meet afterwards, and we stand in the lobby of a screening and we all have have this big movie out in the theater and we're kind of um yeah without words sort of 
feeling that we've done something nice. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's very special. That's very know. humble about the biggest movie of the year. Well, yeah, but when, we were, when I was working on it, I never imagined, I never foresaw no. this coming at all. Like, not in a million years. Did you? I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't no. feel like we were working on a perfect machine that was going to put out a movie that made 900 and whatever million dollars, no. by any means. <laughs> what, I, what I do like with, with Chris's films, actually, is that, you know, um, because people always ask, uh, you know, how similar is the script to the final film and so on, but he always manages to pleasantly surprise somehow. You know, you 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 always make some sort of an you you have your own imagination and you read a script and you know, I have my own visual imagination, but always when I see the stuff coming off the press finished, I'm always pleasantly surprised with, you know, his you know, his vision and, and the stuff that he actually has been seeing all along that we hadn't necessarily seen um, earlier in the process, you know. He's very open in the process, and we're all part of it, and we're all giving our bests, but there's also always a little bit left inside side of him that, 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 that does surprise, and that, you know, um, yeah, does always give you, give you a feeling that he has a little extra stretch of genius and vision that uh, that I for sure not possess. <laughs> yeah, no, true. I agree. Uh, I'm hoping you <laughs> you can talk about the Trinity test sequence a bit, um, which feels kind of instantly legendary. I think if you were a fan of this film um, and the way that it was conceived and shot, and also maybe help people understand what it's like to shoot with an IMAX camera, yeah. which is different from a regular camera. Well, that that comes a little bit back to the other question because people. Uh, they ask a lot uh, about the Trinity test and about the size and the scale and how did you sort of envision it and when you read it on paper, what, you know, how did you know how to do it? And uh, and in a way, I think that's one of these sequences that it is, is has become extremely, um, uh, you know, the scope of that image is, is so much dependent on editing and it's, you know, very much uh, Jen and uh, And Chris's the music, work. which is insane. And, and the say, absence of music. <laughs> oh, but leading up to the yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah, music yeah. cue. And then also Ruth, the production designer, she she and Scott, I think, and Chris has talked about this, they ended up making a lot of extra stuff that you guys ended up shooting that wasn't in the script, mm. which allowed for the sequence, I think, to kind of have. Yeah. But yeah, that, that sequence, it was all hands on deck. All hands on deck, but also... Um, uh, that, that scene is a typical example of exactly of the sum of a lot of very small elements, you know. And nobody, nobody can sort of, you know, uh, even understand or envision, you know, something that has such a magnitude and such a scale. So at some point you're sort of, you know, you're standing at the foot of a, of a mountain and you have to reach the top somehow, but uh, the only thing you can really do is sort of take the first step and and. And it's and it's for all of us like that. We we kind of just start to labor through it with you know trusting that that sooner or later we kind of can grab onto something and, and can hold on to something that will take us further. And and then it's just months and months of laboring into the small details of it. And in the end, that then amounts into something, yeah, that has kind of the right feel. I think maybe. And um, uh, but it's never it's 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 sort of not from my side. Uh, it never comes from you know. I read it on the page, and there's this vision of how this should be done and how the size it should be. It's more like 
how the fuck are we going to do this? Well, <laughs> let's just start with something small, you know? And, and, and so we start testing. We start doing small tests. Uh, we start committing things on film. And already we know half of it is not going to work. But then there's three things that really are interesting. And then we start exploring that a little further. And so step by step, you know, we, we, we craft ourselves sort of through this. And... Um, and um, and you know you you know Chris is always somebody that you know is very firm in sort of his his trust that that things will end up and 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 um, will be you know mostly by him guided into the right direction. It's remarkable how much suspense that sequence has, given that it's a historical event that everyone knows the result of. Yeah, no, even I've seen it so many times, and I just watched it again at the um, live concert that Ludwig and Serena and all the musicians that did the score put on, and it was fantastic. And um, I was like on the edge of my seat, but I was mostly on the edge of my seat because the violinist played that for 10 minutes long, and I was like, how are they going to fit? Like, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. That was amazing. Um yeah, and that that yeah that the fact that it does that is crazy. I don't even understand it. But we had that music quite early. like when we went to cut that scene. That is a scene that he was like, "I know the music. This is the music. Let's lay it in." And um, we had that very early on, and that was just huge. That piece of music. I mean, it's fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think you know the way that Chris uses music in his his storytelling is is I think pretty unique, um, and. And how we, you know, when we made these, when we when we make a lot of the music based on the script, and he can ha he have, he has these ideas like well, let's make a piece that's, you know, ten minutes long that's just building and building and building and goes you know has this extreme tension to it. And so me and my team and my orchestrator were like we made this, like I didn't I didn't know it, it was it was like a ten minute piece of music with just a constant build of violence. And I, 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 and at that time, I didn't really know if it was going to be usable, um, and I didn't think it was going to be playable either, because it's literally ten minutes of, of just, you know, sixteenth notes on a very very fast tempo, um, and but then when I saw how he used that piece of music in in that scene and how you guys, I think you cut you cut that piece of music into that scene, and. Um, and I, it's 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 almost it's I mean it's magic I think it's just it's it's you can how you can have a constant bill for that and really be on the edge of your seat for that whole scene and and then the culmination of it going into the biggest part and just going into silence. Yeah, and the other thing actually, because I wasn't on the set with these guys, and I've actually never gotten to say to Hoyta, but like some of the shots in that sequence for me as an editor were just like a gift, like. The, all the stuff that you did inside the bunker, you know, when the thing hits and it's shaking and, you know, when, when um, I just feel like everyone, every time they see it is like, I feel like I was there with them. And there's something, whatever Hoyt does and how he gets in there with them, but it's like a perfect distance of in there, but not too in the face, you know what I mean? And you just feel like you're another person in the room watching it all and being a part of it. And, um you know, just when Groves, there's so many great shots of Oppenheimer looking so nervous and the camera just moves and slightly goes out of focus. It just like, it just feels so visceral and it's beautiful and it 
was so fun to edit. Yeah, I was gonna say, you make it sound like you didn't work on it. You were just like seeing <laughs> rocks. Well, I've never got to say that, don't wow. But like, I mean, even You're just when Oppie's like, you know, when they when they come back at the end and um, Groves goes to make the call, that shot gives me goosebumps. And like, it's just it just quickly catches him, and he's like, call pot Sam, and then it pans away. And it's just so beautiful, and it's like. It's like you're a person just looking over at him. I don't know how you did that so perfectly. Like, it's just, you know, as an editor, you know, you don't normally get footage that's just, you don't have to worry about it being fucked up. You know, it's just perfect and you can just make something cool. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Let me tell you a little secret. If you want to end the day on an even better note, get yourself a sweet frozen treat from Sonic. Especially since right now at Sonic, you can get half-price shakes after 7 p.m. when you order online or in the app. That's creamy soft serve hand-mixed with your favorite flavors for half the price in any size and flavor. So save on your chocolate shake today, your strawberry shake tomorrow, and your cheesecake shake the next day. Grab Sonic half-price shakes after 7 p.m. now. Exclusions apply. Available for a limited time only at participating Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Spring is such a refreshing time of year. Flowers are blooming and you're getting your house in order. But now is also a good time to take a second look at your wireless plan because you might be overpaying. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay, Sean, top three movie snacks of all time, go. Um, all right, let me think. Uh, popcorn? Obviously. Hmm. Ice cream? That's two. Oh, and uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, of course. Peanut butter and chocolate is a pretty perfect combination. Some may even say the ultimate movie snack. You can't argue with that. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Do you all have a favorite (laughs) sequence that you did work on? Is there a a moment maybe in production where you felt like we are getting this? This is this is exactly how I want this to be. (laughs) Um, No, I don't. I don't have a favorite. No, I don't. I, I don't have a like a favorite sequence. But I I do see a lot of like in the in the materials. I see a lot of moments that you know that were that were definitely magic in perspective. Like for instance, the first black and white close up of uh, Robert Downey. You know, uh, uh, it it has taken us months to develop that black and white film to 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 manufacture the black and white film and to re-engineer the cameras you know we had to build different gates for the cameras um uh, you know panavision had have re-engineered lenses the lab had to totally change their whole workflow you know the only and the biggest analog lab in the in the world i think you know um and we shoot a very simple close-up of a you know you know Robert Downey Jr. You know, and hugely interesting face and a, an incredible actor. But but getting those rushes back and seeing that then black and white projected on the screen is is that's an incredible experience. You know. What about for you, Ludwig? Was you, was there one sequence that you liked the best? 
I've, I've, to me, it's been an interesting kind of the aftermath of, of because when I'm while I'm working and when I'm in the movie and I'm and and you know time just flies and and I don't really sit and analyze what I'm doing. Um, I'm just in the moment and and <clears throat> but things come to me afterwards when I'm seeing the movies and screenings and I'm thinking about why we made certain choices and especially something that I was that I've been thinking about lately that I thought was interesting was in the in the in the very very last scene of the movie in the in the end uh, you know when when he goes back to Einstein again and they have that conversation and he goes cuts to black eventually but how that music um is also kind of it's a it's a culmination of the montage in the beginning right and um that can you hear the music moment it's we're using the same uh music elements from that and the same theme from that scene from that montage but we do we but now it's in a it's in a very very more um, ominous and darker feeling, and I'm also put it took in some elements from the culmination and the end of the Trinity test in that scene too, in the end scene, and and also when I'm thinking about it and when I'm watching it now, and also can see that it's also cut the same way as the montage, right? Mm -hmm. You're using like he's he's at it's it and it's just uh, this is just so sad and dark now like it's not it's not having his inspiring visions now his visions is of, of bombs and and you know rocket ships and 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 just i'm kind of like when i was realizing that i was like oh damn like that was i don't know i was i, I wasn't thinking about that when i was making in the moment but how it all turned out afterwards it's um it was a pretty cool um vision you loved feeling that impending doom of our yeah. culture yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> what we about all thought you? we were working on a romantic comedy before <laughs> that moment yeah. <laughs> what about for you jen is there a favorite mm. segment that you liked working on or th anything i mean particular? when i but were, were you thinking that when you cut that last scene to <laughs> kind of channel the montage too in that from i don't know if it's anything we ever anything we explicitly talked about but i think it was kind of baked in there a little bit essentially yeah. like in the script kind of yeah totally um, but hearing you talk about it, it's even more dark and disturbing. But yeah, um, I think when I was just putting the assembly together, I could say, because um, yeah, like Lita says, I can't really, I mean, the movie, I love every scene and have different relationships to each scene. But when I was just putting my assembly together, my favorite section was kind of the, um, and I had no idea it was going to be my favorite section, but the Casey, um, when Casey shows up, just, I think I love that part in the script because the script kind of takes a left turn, and I think it's so cool that Chris did that. And um, you know, because everyone's waiting for the bomb, you know, and he's like, "No, we're going to go over here for a second and do this whole thing." And um, and that scene I found when I was cutting is so funny because you're watching Oppenheimer kind of be an idiot, you know, and <laughs> um, it's so satisfying. And Killian's performance is incredible, and. Casey's so good, and I don't know who the other actor is, but he's pretty—he's incredible too. And um, so yeah, I just had a lot of fun cutting that scene. I was laughing out loud. It's funny that you say that though, because it reminds me a little bit of maybe something you did in Hereditary, because that it's for like thirty seconds. It's a horror movie. I mean, you're you're not showing this man's face, and it feels so ominous and like something terrible is going to happen. Right. And then I there in the first screening I went to, people actually laughed when they saw. Well, Casey it's also Affleck. really funny when Matt Damon's like. I mean, I think that seems so funny every time you cut to Groves and he's like, "You did what? This is a man who's killed communists." And then Casey's just sitting there, and I'm like, you know, he's no idea. Um, so I just had a lot of fun, maybe too much fun when I because I think that sequence was very long. Chris was like, "What are you doing?" Um, 
And uh, and I also loved the all the stuff around the table with the flowers in the black and white. When I was cutting my assembly, I had so much fun with that stuff. It's so beautifully shot. And again, it's one of those scenes where those scenes are really hard to shoot around a round table. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a DP, but I just assume they're not easy. And table scenes are just... So when someone shoots them really, really well, it makes my job just so fun. Because I don't have to worry, like, oh, why didn't they shoot that shot? Why don't I have that guy's reaction? Like, I have everything. So it was just so fun to cut. So I spent a lot of time, probably too much time on those scenes, too, just because I enjoyed cutting them. And I think the Truman scene, I loved cutting. When I, this, this is all just when I was at my assembly. Like, I actually didn't spend too much time on the Trinity sequence. I breezed right by it because I was like, we're going to do this and it's going to be great. And I'm sure Ludwig did some crazy music for it. But um, I had to get to the end of the movie before Chris came back. I only had three or four weeks. Um, and I knew I had to watch all the footage. So, But he was, he, he was like, that actually makes sense that you did that because this will be great. We don't need to worry about <laughs> um, As we wrap up, I'm curious now, you know, it's been six months since the movie came out and become such a big success. And... Uh, is being celebrated so much now. Just each one of you, wh why do you think it has resonated so much? What do you think it is that people are connecting to? Well, I think it's it's um, you know the the when I when the movie came out, I was in a I was in a small town in in Sweden. I was on summer break and I was with my family and my kids in Sweden, and I booked a ticket at the local theater's tiny tiny little village. And it was packed. <laughs> uh, and the guy, the guy that presents the movie, he when he when he presents his movie at this local theater, he always tells the audience about the premise and if he liked it or not. <laughs> and, and before the movie starts, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also in like a very heavy like South and Swedish accent. Um, and then he and then he's, he he knew I was there, so he was also like telling me. And then the composer was there, but but I was just so, so surprised that it was in in that city in the village. Like people were just so excited to see this movie, and I think is is the right is the right time, the right moment, and people who are hungry to see something like this. Um, and you know the the format speaks for itself. You know the all the the how all the IMAX screenings were just sold out, and people couldn't even get a seat, and. I think the talk of the town and like people like people saying that like I, I I couldn't even get seated for the next month, um, just um, the word of mouth and and the spectacle of seeing this on the screen and and how it sounds like the 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 the, the detail that Chris spend, spends all not just in the visuals but also the details he spends in the mixing and you know it's it's, it's really like an event it's really it's it is like a concert. Um, and I think people are just maybe after the pandemic, people are just hungry for that again. Jan, what about you? What do you think it is that's resonating? Mm, I don't know. I mean, I just know for myself when I read the script, like these guys said, I just ripped through it, and I was so um, into it. And I and I remember for me, it was like you know getting to Trinity, but then also all the stuff after I found thrilling, and I love the whole, everything between the straw, Oppenheimer thing for me. I just I found so fascinating and you know, that he was mad because he said something to Einstein and then he does this thing and then he does it, but maybe he double-crossed him. And, like, I just just remember um, at the end just being like, oh, my God, no, he wanted him to do it and, like, just being so with it. And I think I also loved all the history stuff, and so I think this movie works on so many levels. You know, it's, like, so fascinating historically, so fascinating the science of it. 
um, visually stunning. And then on top of it, it has just like a grudge, like a grudge match, which is like, who doesn't like that, you know? And, and, um, and it has, yeah, it's just the characters are so fascinating to me. And I think people love that. And I, um, I think audiences around the world are smart and this is a fun movie. And it just, it made me so excited that people liked it as much as I liked it. But I, I didn't have any, I was shocked and, and really pleasantly surprised. Were you shocked? Hoito, what, it, what do you think it is that's making it so big? Well, you know, the the ground material is huge. Either the story is big and 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 is very important and meaningful, um, which automatically puts you in a position in which you know you're constantly very afraid that you will not do justice to the story with your own work. Now, and I can only speak for myself. I have given this film my everything. You know, I. Um, I don't think I have better in me than this. So, 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 so uh, the fact that it's, it resonated was was was, you know, I was very happy about it because if it wouldn't have resonated, I would have, you know, I would I would have gone back home and cry up in a bowl. I think you know. <laughs> so so, um, um, but and I speak now for myself. But if you allow me to speak for everybody, I th- I, I think that. You know, when I talk to the people in the crew, they all had very much this similar sort of vibe or emotion around it, you know. And you could also see it during the day. Everybody was really giving their everything. And, and um, you know, I'm talking about makeup, costume, you know. Uh, when I looked at Jen, I, you know, uh, at, at, at Luda's work, I, you know, at some point, you know, uh, karma should pay you there somewhere, somewhere some, somewhat, you know. So in that way, you know, I'm surprised uh, because it's a room about uh, faces, or it's a film about faces, but I'm not surprised because there's just so much humanity and energy that went into it. So at some point, you know, that stuff has to start resonating. (laughs) What else will? (laughs) Uh, We end every episode of this show by asking filmmakers what is the last great thing they have seen you guys weren't seated for this, so you can't say Oppenheimer. Um, <laughs> Ludwig, have you seen anything you like recently? You mean films? Could be anything, yeah. but <laughs> um, I was—I I just I saw this movie, um, All of Us Strangers, that I thought was amazing. It made me feel a lot of feelings, and it was very impactful. It's a wonderful movie, Jen. What about you? The last movie I watched recently that I really uh, resonated with me was Anatomy of a Fall. Loved that. Um, but I love movies like that about what's true, what is even truth. I thought that was stunning. People really. talking in rooms as well. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. what about you? My God, I was really hoping you guys would take a little longer on those answers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, great, great films this 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 year around. I think you know. Um, I really enjoyed Linus's work on Saltburn. Mm-hmm. You know, very nice. Um, been binge watching Fargo. Hmm. I hadn't seen it before. Really enjoy it. What <laughs> season are you up to? Uh, four right now. So okay, okay. Still got one, one more to go. Okay, let's give it up for Hoyto van Hoytema, <laughs> Jennifer Lehm, Ludwig Lawrence.
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.